This is Mindful Conversations with Matt. I'm number one. And I'm Rob. Number two. Yeah. He wants to be a small number two. He doesn't really want to be seen. I actually think he's a pretty talented guy. I started that rumor. <laughs> he started. He's the most important person that he's ever met. <laughs> Dr. Rob Cook. I'm going to bring down the music and... This is episode two of our beta podcast, yes. Mindful Conversations. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about um, personal assessment of COVID because we're approaching the one-year anniversary. Do you remember where you were when the first news of COVID really came out? No, I don't remember where I was. I do remember hearing it um, because I saw the news report from China. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, I, I wonder if that's going to make it to the States. When was that? Um, let's see. You had December, uh, January, and February. So it was in that mark. It's, my recollection is it was in that that period of time. Mm -hmm. So whenever whenever that um, virus made it to the American news media, that's 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 what's locked in my brain. Hey, just as a quick disclaimer, I'm just going to state that I am not an expert on COVID. I am not either. Um, I am an expert on tacos, <laughs> and I am. A pseudo-expert on off-roading. Off-roading. So between the two of us, we've got food. Tacos and road trips. Exactly. We've got this thing covered. <laughs> I know. I was on the beach in Florida on vacation with my family when, when COVID really broke out. We were in Seaside, Florida near Destin. Um, we were enjoying just a family spring break vacation. And I, re I mean, restaurants were open. There was mm -hmm. no restriction, nothing like that. And we just... We're on the beach, and all of a sudden, the news just started breaking. Cancellations right and left. Uh, my daughter, who goes to the University of Georgia, got an email stating, hey, students, don't come back. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife started getting work emails. Hey, we're going virtual. I mean, this literally unfolded while we were sitting on the beach, and we came home to Michigan to deal with a, a brand-new reality. Yes. It was March of 2020. <laughs> Yeah. A lot yeah. has happened. Yeah. A new reality has happened. A new reality. A new paradigm. You know, this hit local. It hit state. Obviously, around the country, around the world, world. this was a global yeah. thing, and we had never experienced, I had never experienced something like this. No. I actually thought <laughs> it would probably happen in my kids or grandkids. Um, generation or time you did you did you had a, a mindfulness for that possibility I did that was probably just influenced by some of the work that I've done in other countries yeah because they have had epidemics mm -hmm. yeah I mean this is not unusual for other parts of the world right right pandemics viruses right yeah. Very different for for the the US. 
for the West. Definitely. You know, again, as I'm assessing, because today's topic is assessment. Yes. You know, really, because our show is all about personal wellness. Mm -hmm. And today's specific topic is how we can do an assessment that will help us as we approach the the one-year anniversary of this pandemic. Um, But when I think of assessment and I'm looking at this, I see things like how it's affected households, like marriages and families, parenting. Obviously, parenting with um, having kids be at home because of schooling issues, how businesses have been affected, Um, obviously medical services, frontline workers, other essential workers. I mean, we had an entire presidential election go on during the pandemic, and now the vaccine. Right. So much has happened. So much uncertainty. So much uncertainty. And so many areas where we cannot control. Right. Which we generally like to pretend we can. Mm -hmm. Where does that human instinct come from, the idea of being in control? That's a great question. I'm not sure I know. You're the expert. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You have a DR in front of your name. Right. Um. I think it's a combination of things, honestly. You know, from early on, we're kind of taught that we do have control mm-hmm. and we don't generally discern. You don't, you don't, I don't think you hear parents talking about freely what can and cannot be controlled. Humans are not very good self-assessors. So we feel a certain amount of safety when we feel in control. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, it's probably a little bit of heredity and environment and family and social and cultural, but it's connected to, in my mind, to that safety. When I, when I, when I perceive I have control, I feel safer. Right. It's a great question. When I perceive that I'm in control, I feel safe. Sounds like safety is at the core of this. That would be my operating assumption. There is an instinct, humanistically, I want to be safe. Yes. And yet we've often said around here at the Response Care Center and the work we do as clinicians, as mental health providers, we talk about the planet is not a safe place to be. No. That's, that's one of the reasons why I don't think Um, We in the U.S. were well prepared for this pandemic. It it has exposed, whether we want to accept it or not, has exposed our love affair with safety on a planet that isn't really that safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you can't control your next breath. You can't control the car crashing into your car you can't control you know and it's it's not all or nothing we do have some control but identifying what we can authentically control versus what we can't you know um about two weeks ago i shared this with you my daughter emma's dog ardman a two-year-old chocolate lab he is a he's a love fest 
he's just the kindest dog you would ever want to be around. And he got, inadvertently, he got near the road. The road that's, that runs in front of our house is 45 miles an hour. People drive 50, 55, 60. Um, and he was hit by an F-150. You know, as I've told the story, and he survived miraculously without any broken bones. But he did have a laceration, you know, on his left leg. And it got sewed up. It got bandaged, and and then this past Monday, he went to the vet. Emma got the stitches out, and I was playing with him downstairs because he loves to chase the tennis ball. And after about five minutes of playing, I noticed his wound had reopened up, and I got so mad Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was doing something fun, and I was just unconscious. And then all of a sudden, I felt like his health was now compromised because of my choices. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed how I felt in the words I said that I can't repeat on radio about what happened to him. And thankfully he went back to the vet the next day and the doc said, Hey, he's going to be okay. We're just going to let his, his skin heal and it's healing. But I noticed that I was out of control and what I did brought harm to him. One of the byproducts, of a loss of safety is fear. Mm-hmm. And fear is one of the, um, one of the causal or tributaries to anger. Yeah. So you're saying the anger that I experienced was coming from fear. That's a potential that would, that, that would fit. I mean, when, we try to control things that we can't control when we're afraid, when we're in pain, or when there are injustices, yeah. all of which have been a part of this pandemic. The response is typically for humans, anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. Those are the, those are the dynamics or the elements that mm-hmm. contribute to anger. So it would make sense that if you felt like you did something to hurt Ardman, which is a dog you care about. Yeah, it was an accident. I mean, yeah. it, like there was nothing that I did that that intentionally caused that right. to happen. But I remembered, God, you idiot. Why, why did you do that? Like holding myself maybe responsible. And maybe I could have been more conscious, but really maybe it's kind of like the buildup of again, COVID fatigue or pandemic fatigue when you have a moment of joy and then something happens that takes away your ability to control and you experience an accident. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the pandemic fatigue kind of sets us up for more accidents. Yeah. As emotion goes up, assessment goes down. If I get tired, um, if I'm stressed, those do not lend themselves to accurate or the best case scenario for assessments. Right, right. Well, why don't we kind of turn the corner in our conversation today, being mindful of today's topic of uh, this anniversary of this pandemic, and let's discuss the things that, that people can be aware of on a personal level regarding this long-term COVID? Like, what's been my role in my family, for example? How has my family been affected 
by my role in the family? That's a, that's a, an assessment question. Or how's my health? How's my overall well-being? Um, maybe a third option or question would be, how have I managed the stress in my life? Mm-hmm. Like, how have I really coped? And maybe more specifically, what kind of coping strategies have I employed? Maybe have they been healthy or have they been unhealthy? How have I adjusted? That might be a fourth question. How have I adjusted? Let's talk about those things. Where would you want to start? Well, let's start with our role. Okay. Maybe the role in family, our role at work. I mean, did my role, did our roles change? Well, I think it's a safe assumption to assume that the roles have radically changed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, moving from parent to educator because the schools have closed, mm-hmm. uh, working in an office building to home. The boundaries became more difficult when you moved into the home. There's not a clear line of demarcation. You're working, you know, your brain doesn't make good distinctions to begin with, but now you're, you're, you're taking your work and transplanting it in the home. So the roles of work identity and professionalism has changed um, depending upon your familiarity with technology. We've, we've gone from depending, you know, face-to-face to Zoom. So there would be a, a boatload mm-hmm. of road changes. Um, families are thrown together for extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So you no longer have distance to rely on if for some reason the relationship is harder. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, like, when I look at my own home and and I see my wife in the past 12 months since March, primarily working from home. Yeah. And, you know, she has a global position with, you know, a company in Battle Creek, and she's more accustomed to travel. But... She's experienced more, it seems like, contentment, mm-hmm. not having the extra stress of travel and such. It's been actually more pleasurable, being that she, by personality, is more of an introvert. Yeah. So she might assess, based on my assumption, that there has been goodness that's happened in her role at work. Like, they've been just as effective, maybe more effective, more productive during this season. So there's positive attributes that come out of this as well. I think that's a very valid point. If you're going to do an accurate assessment, then the assessment should involve the healthy and the unhealthy or the negative and the positive. If you're just focusing on one over the other, I would argue that's not really a helpful assessment. Yeah. Now, me, on the other hand, I remember distinctly having to be thrown into more of a video-based therapeutic practice through telehealth. Yeah. And like everybody else, we got thrown into the technology right off the bat, and I didn't really have the technology to really support my work, and that was very frustrating. Plus, unlike my wife, I'm an extrovert. I enjoy being physically present with my clients. Mm-hmm. And I was really struggling. Oh yeah, to be in the game, having to be from home. Oh, do- totally. If if 
I mean, for all of the therapists or mental health professionals I know, they cherish that face-to-face authentic communication. You can, you can see the nonverbals. You can pick up cues. The other thing that was obvious, particularly in mental health, was the associations were not ready for telehealth. Right. You know, and so they're scurrying around trying to figure out what the parameters are and best practices. And so in in the midst of all of these role changes, you've got a lot of moving parts that add stress. Which, I mean, let's use the word adaptability. Yeah. Flexibility. Resiliency. Resiliency. And having to bend and move. And boy, hats go off to... There's a lot of people in the crowd that deserve lots of kudos. Um, healthcare workers, frontline workers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, parents who had to, you know, dual income homes that had to um, adjust their lifestyle because they had to now mitigate technology at home because their kids were virtual. Yeah. Or business owners. You think of the restaurant, the restaurant industry. Who, yeah. And they were opening and closing and, there was little predictability as to what government officials would do with that group. So still dealing with that. Yeah. You know, and and so, so many people on so many levels have taken the brunt of this in so many different ways. And so adaptability, sometimes economical businesses are closing permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Because of this. But to your point about assessment, it does for those that want to be, honest with themselves, it does beg the question, where have I been resilient? What has led to that resiliency? Where have I been flexible? Where have I been rigid? Because sometimes the rigidness is is healthy and other times it just breaks you. Okay, great point. What happens when you maybe reflect over this past 12 months and you recognize where you've broken? Yeah. Is it wrong? To break? I, I don't think so. I I don't know that some of that can be avoided, given the context. Right. The greater question in my mind is, are you willing to heal, to learn, to grow from that? You know, maybe the breaking had little to do with you. Mm-hmm. It could have been circumstances beyond your control. Yeah. But knowing the answer to those questions theoretically helps you build resiliency. Yeah. So important. Um, Let's talk for a moment about the kind of coping strategies that maybe have been employed, both healthy and unhealthy, to deal with stress. I mean, as we're doing this personal assessment, identifying the importance of personal wholeness or wellness. Yeah. It's good to be aware of when I am sliding in areas to find relief, but ultimately it could add more difficulty to my life, my wellness. That appears to be reflected in some of the literature and the research. You know, some of the numbers with increased alcohol consumption, Mm -hmm. um, people turning to... uh, other poor coping mechanisms, gambling. Um, so, you know, 
I'm with you. There are healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms. And well, some of that might be de- defined just by frequency. Maybe not even, I mean, yes, true. All the things you listed, but then also absence, like I check out. Yes. Gaming. Yeah. I thought, yeah. That's Binge watching. Yeah. Like so fatigued that I check out. Totally. And maybe needed, but maybe abused. Yes. Because I think ultimately we're created for pleasure. We're created to experience goodness. And yet we, we, our body tricks us to thinking that we can go to certain sources to find that pleasure. Yeah. For example, the classic scenario, like I exercise and you know, the classic scenario of the battle in my mind, do I exercise? Do I not exercise? And, you know, you know that if you exercise, when you get done, you know you're going to feel better. Right. But on the front side, there's this message that says, just stay on the couch and eat ice cream. Yeah. I I would push back a little bit. I do think we're created for pleasure. But the prerequisite for pleasure is what people miss, and that's purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I would think, okay, I'm created. If I know my purpose, pleasure is going to be a part of that. Yes. Maybe it's a matter of semantics. Maybe it isn't. But you're right. In terms of coping with the pandemic, you're going to cope. You increase the probability of coping with something as big and large as this in a healthy way if you are connecting that to your purpose. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's, you know, I think... I think those who have understood their purpose and have been flexible and um, uh, given themselves permission to feel, to your point, the wide range of emotions, mm-hmm. those those of us who have attempted to do that, you're developing a greater range, if you will, and with that comes an increased resiliency or flexibility or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Yeah. This is an ongoing process. The idea of human development Mm -hmm. through adversity. Yeah. Through times of joy and celebration, but also loss and grief. Yeah. Um, There's so much that we can talk about. We don't have the time in this particular episode to talk about everything, but the focus I'm wanting to continue to come back to is personal assessment. Yeah. Are you taking time to really do the personal assessment needed? Now as clinicians, as mental health providers, oftentimes we're able to sit with our client and and do that assessment and to help them become more self-aware, right, of of what their presenting issue is and how we can help them to to work toward resolution. But the average person who may not seek help, where do they go? to to become more aware more self-aware about their situation that's a good question the first thought that comes to my mind is trusted safe friends or family right you know because you have to be in a position where you want the honest feedback yeah if you don't want honesty and feedback, then probably shouldn't be asking the questions. Right. You know, also understanding the elements of assessment 
how am I doing psychologically? How am I doing emotionally? How am I doing relationally? Uh, how am I doing spiritually? How, you know, asking questions to people that you trust and are safe mm-hmm. and, and kind of provoking their honesty. Talk mm-hmm. to me honestly, giving them permission to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times though, we make people who are honest with us, the enemy. <laughs> right. That's not helpful. I think you said in the beginning of answering this particular question, finding the right people. Mm-hmm. You do need to be conscious of finding the right people. Yes, I think so. Right. And I think finding the safe people that can listen. Yeah. That aren't quick to give advice. Yes. But to seek to understand you and what you're sharing, a place to really vent you know, or process yeah. and to allow them to come alongside you, um, to support you and even to validate validation, I think is important. Yeah. in a non-judgmental in a non-judgmental way. Yeah. And of course I do a lot of work in my marriage therapy, helping couples to be able to learn how to manage conflict. And I often say that conflict is not arguing or fighting. Conflict is when you have two different ways of seeing something. Yeah. Which is really healthy. Yes. The idea of differentiation. I mean, the idea that we're two different people and I'm interested in knowing you and the way that you see things. And although I might be in disagreement, I can certainly afford you the respect to listen and to understand you. And then maybe we can work through to a solution through compromise. Right. I mean, the Gottmans suggest that 70% of issues in a marriage problems are not solvable. Yes, but that's a mature response. That's maturity mandates that I look at things from multiple perspectives and mindfully consider them Yeah, and not just operate from the assumption that my perspective or my way of thinking is the healthiest or the most accurate or the right yeah. way. Yeah, the number one thing I see in my couple's work is just the clear um, posture of defensiveness. Yeah. Going back to the original thought that you had on safety. If I don't feel safe, I'm going to be in a defensive posture. Yeah. And I'm most likely going to be critical and contemptuous if I don't feel safe. It's the default setting to a lack of safety. Right. You know, from a physiological perspective, our bodies are wired to respond that fight or flight thing so but maturity i think recognizes that and mitigates that and embraces different perspectives in order to seek first to understand before being understood yeah and we'll keep reinforcing that that's just like a universal law of human connection i think so um, and you use the word maturity. Obviously, we're using these times of adversity and challenge, you know, from a resilience standpoint to help us to mature and to develop into a whole person. Yeah. And so although our assessment might, our findings might show some areas of falter, that doesn't mean that we don't win. Right. Yeah. I think it just says we're human. Yeah. And I'm honest about my own assessment and I'm looking for partnership, maybe my marriage partner or maybe friends or associates at work or what have you to partner with 
I think this has brought us a little closer together. Well, let's do this because we're, we're approaching um, the last couple minutes of our 30 minute program. Let's maybe have some final thoughts about this conversation, this mindful conversation on personal assessment as we approach the, the anniversary of the beginning of COVID. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would um, suggest that everything rises and falls on an accurate assessment. Yeah. And so whatever assessment methodology or program that you're using, whether it be personal or professional or whatever, you want to make sure that you're getting good information Mm -hmm. because if you're not getting good information and you follow the lead of the assessment or the data that it reveals. Yes. That, that, that could be problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I would provide some suggestion to assess how you've been coping with your stress. Yes. And be honest with yourself. Find somebody who you can trust. I don't like the whole New Year resolution thing. I don't either. But I do like the idea of realizing, hey, I know that I'm a, I'm a creation that's being recreated over and over again. And I know there are going to be moments and days where I make poor choices, but that doesn't mean I can't assess, forgive, and move forward with better choices. And I can do that for myself. I mean, the number one person I want to do this for is me. Yeah. Because if I grow healthy in my personal wellness, I know I'm going to be better for other people. Yeah. And I personally am glad that you're being recreated. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I haven't noticed many hairs on your head being recreated. Yes. No, no. It's a challenge. And I've noticed that with my rec- my my receding hairline <laughs> as well. And there seems to be like this thing growing around my midsection, you know, as an older adult. Well, we're both in that recreation process together. I like that. I like that. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Likewise. And uh, that's going to wrap up our show, episode two, on mindful conversations with Rob and Matt, or Matt and Rob, however you want to say it. But we appreciate you listening. We don't really have an advertisement for our next episode, but we guarantee it'll be mindful on something. Yes. Excellent. Thanks for listening.